0: What's up everybody this is Word of a Rebel and today I'm going to talk about something I usually don't talk about and this is going to be about big conspiracy theories about government and whatever big powerful organizations or groups may or may not be doing in the world today and I don't typically touch on this topic because it can go down a rabbit hole but I feel like I want to give some perspective and logic on how to approach the thought process about how people in power may or may not be doing things in the world around us. So let's talk about it. There's two particular terms I want you to keep in mind as we go through this discussion, which is loss mitigation and competition. So let's briefly define what loss mitigation and competition are. Competition you probably already understand just in terms of like business, sports, you know, you know, different sides with different desires and wishes. Um, they may wanna have, they may have different goals or they may want to actually defeat the competition completely, right? And then, you know, loss mitigation is something that's a a business term. So if you've ever worked in any type of a business setting um, or or even in a retail store, loss mitigation, of course, is the reduction of losing um, the resources, the loss of losing um, funds and profits, um, you know, preventing the loss. That is loss mitigation. And in the world of like big, powerful conspiracy theories, of course, probably the most prominent conspiracy theory is about uh, the Illuminati, the idea that there's some sort of an, a, a group of individuals who are moving the pieces um, of the big picture, right? And that, you know, they tried to stay elusive. And so people in, who who really are devoted to the Illuminati theory, really dive in looking for like symbolism, and really trying to unearth um, the identity of this supposed or alleged Um, organization right and it's just one of many theories out there about what do people in certain positions of power um, do with that power right so I just want to give you guys some logic based perspective on what to think about people in positions of power and the moral of the story I'm going to go ahead and give you the thesis now before I dive into it the moral of the story is that people in positions of power are always vulnerable they are not as powerful as people give them um they're not they don't have as much power as people tend to give them in their minds right even for people who are devoted to the conspiracy theories um, are giving these people these groups way too much uh credit to be honest that's the thesis but I want to show you where the logic comes in and we're going to continue to talk about these two terms about competition and loss mitigation and how they play a part in assessing the prevalence or not of a powerful organization um, manipulating things. So let's look at the two terms competition and loss mitigation uh, with a historical perspective, because as with anything, you know, you have to look at what has come before what has been proven to be true or proven to be false. Um, And so we're going to look at, assess how powerful groups or entities um, approached maneuvering things um, for their own benefit throughout time, okay? Um, And let's go with a very well-known example, um, of course, with European colonization and what that looked like. So a lot of people go into believing that the 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 U- European goal from the beginning was to create what we have today and that's very wrong and I want to give you the perspective on why okay uh, you're giving them way too much credit you are basically saying anybody who believes this is basically saying that somehow 500 years ago the Europeans had enough foresight to believe that what we have today was possible to, for them to have as much power um, and, you know, um, not power in a way of like decision-making and like directing things, right? Um, That's completely false. So I wanna give you a brief history lesson. So if we go back to the 1400s, the situation in Europe was very bad. Europe was basically in what we would call an economic depression. So there was a lot of competition over resources as there has always been throughout history. And the Europeans were losing this competitive battle very bad. As we know, Europe doesn't really have a lot of natural resources on its own. Europe is very far north, so its land doesn't tend to be great for agriculture. And so there was a lot of poverty and a lot of uh, competition to get goods from other parts of the world so in that mindset what the european well well, first of all the reason why it was so expensive is because uh, europeans had to travel across very difficult terrain um or traveling across the waters um to go from like europe to africa either across the mediterranean or across that narrow bridge of um of the atlantic between europe and africa right um or they had to go across you know like i said the terrain and very difficult mountains to get into asia and so all of this was very dangerous, all this was very expensive. And so the motivation at this point, the competition was to see which European nation could access these various resources in a safer way um, by traveling, of course, across the ocean. Um, and so that was what the, the, the race began. Um, how can Europeans get from where they are to get to the goods in India and China? And so you see these various um, people being paid to try out some different routes. And so, of course, we know one of them uh, or a few of them maybe even tried this, but they went across the uh, all the way around Africa, which was, of course, much larger than they had anticipated. Um, and it took really, really long time to get there. And then, of course, we know about Columbus, who tried to get to India, but then didn't realize that there was more lands. And so, of course, he lands on an island in the Caribbean. So I'm saying all that to say this. None of that was pre-planned. It was all with a very short-sighted focus. The goal, the short-sighted goal, was getting to the goods in Asia and India, you know, China and India specifically, um, in a cheaper, safer way than going across land (coughs) and paying middlemen. Okay, so what happens thereafter? Well, at initially You have to understand, like, they were not happy with what Columbus did initially. They're kind of like, oh, well, damn, this did not solve our problem. So, of course, you know, Columbus being a criminal crook, con artist, you know, he and his cronies presented something to these leaders um, to basically save their own asses and said, hey, well, let's see what we can get from this land. Right. And so, of course, we know what proceeded, which was the attempted enslavement of the indigenous people to give goods that the Europeans would then pay for, right? Competition, okay? Now, this is where loss mitigation comes in because in this scenario, the indigenous Americans, as we know, they were dying very rapidly of European-born diseases. So most people in Europe, Africa, and Asia had already developed immunities to a lot of these diseases because they were frequently in contact with each other. As we know, the people of the Americas were not in contact with people frequently enough in the other parts of the world in order to gain immunity. So the Europeans came over and there was a lot of loss. Now for the Europeans, they obviously did not care. We're talking about the crooks and criminals. We're not talking about anybody ethical. These are all crooks and criminals that were there their loss mitigation was they were losing their labor force, their free labor force, which meant their economy based on these goods they were trying to get was not going to work out. So what do they do out of the competition for these goods? They look for another way of getting free labor. And so they made the new decision to go get Africans off of the continent and bring them across the ocean as a free labor source. Okay. Okay. So if you're looking at each of these scenarios, none of this was planned. It was always very, very short-sighted. So the reason I'm saying that is you can look at all of the decision-making that has been done in various states, in various places. It's always motivated by these two things, competition and loss mitigation. So looking at that, taking it into a modern perspective when you look at the power structure of the world you have to understand how complicated it is okay we already know how difficult it is to get any group of people to agree to anything but somehow people believe that there is a group of powerful figures somehow manipulating in an agreed fashion to direct things in this world That is highly doubtful because of those two things. Number one, competition. None of them are going to want to really share power, okay? You know, if there's any group of people trying to move things around, they're always going to be in competition. They're always going to be at odds. They're always going to have a different goal in mind, right? So don't think that they are manipulating and moving pieces that are going to affect you on the short, on the, on the, 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 it's not the short scale, but the small scale, like the micro scale, your micro scale, right? So let's talk about the micro scale in terms of power structure and power dynamic. We know that across the world, empires came and went, right? The person who had the power always only had the power of the economy, okay? they control the flow of certain goods and resources in order to cushion their own personal lifestyle. Now, what do you think was happening in every other part of their so-called empire? The people were still living their lives, doing whatever they wanted. Like, okay, let's look at an example for example, the Louisiana Purchase. Now, whenever we taught, we were taught this in history, we we're taught that the um that the French controlled a large portion of North America by virtue of um, the Mississippi River Valley. Okay, what they don't tell you is there were not that many French people here when the French controlled that large plot of land, so-called controlled. I put hash, let's put some quotes on control. So it was an illusion of control. All that they controlled was European access to what came out of there. They didn't control the people who were living here. They didn't control the societies that were living here. They didn't control the people who were, you know, living about their normal lives, going get their food and whatever else, right? At this state of the process, um, the Europeans were a very small number of people and by and large, most of the indigenous people who lived here were still continuing to flourish and do their own thing. They just didn't have access to the European market because only the Europeans had access on those boats to go back and forth. So I'm saying all to say this, no matter who you think is in control or in power, there is a limit to what they can and cannot do to you. Okay, so I just wanted to kind of give this episode, I'm not gonna be able to give a whole lot of information just because this is a really deep and in-depth concept. Um, what I was, what I, my goal with this particular episode is just to highlight the limits of power. Um, Also to hopefully free somebody's mind from believing that they are under the control of someone or something else. Because you are not. Power is an illusion. It's completely an illusion. Um, Any person or system that is in a position of power can be dismantled and also could be revolutionized to operate in a completely different fashion. This is precisely the reason that, um, as a historian, because a lot of people don't know this, I actually got my graduate degree in history, and anytime that I've ever researched history, what I focus on, I, li- I love focusing on revolutionary history, because it proves something very substantial and significant about humanity. Um, I choose to focus on the portion of revolutionary history that talks about the resilience, that talks about the um, transformation. And the power of people, right? A lot of the time when history is taught, what does it focus on? It tends to focus on the person in power doing atrocious things um, and whatever the result of that event was. I like focusing on revolutionary history. I like focusing on the lives of the people who sustained within a civilization, And the reason is because that is where the answers are, right? We've studied enough about, and we need to continue to study it, but we've studied enough about the kings, right? We've studied enough about the powerful companies and um, empires and things like that. We know about that information. And I do believe that it needs to continue to be taught. But what I'm asking you to do in terms of gaining control, really freeing your mind from what I call this fear tactic. To me, this is the biggest fear tactic. The fear tactic that says that 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 you are beholden to some powerful entity. It's kind of, it reminds me of the Wizard of Oz. This is the, one of the big takeaways from the Wizard of Oz, and it's the reason why the Wizard of Oz appears a couple of times in my poetry. And in one particular poem, I mention how, you know, what you perceive as being this powerful, unknown, identified entity is like the Wizard of Oz. If you pull back the curtain, what you realize is what you were afraid of is not nearly as powerful as you thought it was, is not nearly as scary as you thought it was. Now, what you know, whatever group of people are in positions of power, they hope that you continue to stay on the other side of the curtain and not realize how fragile they are. That's what they hope. So I encourage you to do more study about how people sustained and enjoyed lives and created art and created love and built and established and protected each other in spite of whoever was in a position of power, in spite of whatever was going on or was not going on. That is what gives me strength. That is what pulls me back from the brink when I start to feel um, affected by the the events around us because if we look throughout history what we're going through right now they they call it the long durée the long duration when you really pull back into this this long durée view where you can see far back into history you realize that what we're going through right now is actually not that exceptional people keep talking about like oh this this time period that we're going through is like so much different than anyone beforehand It's really not. Human nature, human systems really are not that incredibly different. And so if you ever want to get a deeper perspective, if you ever want to really learn about your power, learn about the power of your ancestors. Learn about the power of other groups of people as well who went through and dealt with situations similar to what you may be experiencing right now. It's the reason why I focus so heavily on documentaries and history textbooks, because that is where i believe true knowledge comes from that is where your empowerment comes from so i do encourage all of you to look back in time study historical moments and and look at what they did look at how they sustained so i'm going to do a following episode to follow this one up where i'm going to talk about what an economy really is and really talk about what cost of living really should be and so both of these episodes i'm going to share them heavily I really encourage you all to share them very heavily because I think that these are two big questions that need to be answered for a lot of people. What is power and what is an economy? Because you really have to separate yourself from the little minutiae of all these little things, all this little bickering. If you're going to make safe decisions for yourself and for your household, if you're going to truly have independence and freedom of mind and freedom of body, These are the kind of questions that you need to answer for yourself. And so getting a clearer logical perspective on it. Stop giving your power away through your fear. As always, this is Word of a Rebel and I'm here for empowerment. Be sure to come back for part two in which we answer the question, what is an economy and what is cost of living and what it really should be. So be sure to check back in, be sure to share this on all social media platforms. If you have anything that you want to add to this conversation, anything you want to say, any any questions you may want to ask, feel free to hit me up at Word of a Rebel on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, everywhere that's social media, you can find me at Word of a Rebel. You can drop me a comment or send me a message with anything you have to say, anything that's on your mind. As always, once again, this is Word of a Rebel.